welcome back to another episode of the Hero Ball Podcast. I'm Richard Davidson, and I am joined by my good buddies, Ethan Huffman, Elton Beltry. Now, guys, we are going to talk about some basketball today. I'm excited. I haven't been on the pod in a little bit. And so, uh, you know what, guys? Uh, are you ready to, to talk basketball today? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's nice to have you back here. Um, and uh, running back to three-man weave, because I feel like there was one point that we were just like, doing a round robin of two people in one person out. So, and speaking of that, I'm probably going to be out next week because it's the world cup final on the 18th and it's happening at 10 o'clock Eastern and seven Pacific. So I'm just letting you guys know. That won't affect my schedule. We understand. Like, like I, I have it on, I keep, I've been, been following the world cup. Um, I filled out a bracket Gotta gotta recognize. I know very very little. Like I know like oh this name sounds familiar. I picked Germany to win the whole thing, and that they they exited in the uh, group stage. So uh, that just lets you know my, where my headspace is around that. But yeah, but now since you're back here, uh, Ethan, I can go ahead and talk about some NHL division standings. We can talk about the Eastern Conference leading Boston Bruins. We can go ahead. Now I'm not gonna do that to you, Richard. <laughs> they didn't cover this their puck line the other day, so I'll no, they didn't. No, they didn't, and I'm sure I'm sure that one got you good. But nah, Richard, we won't do this to you. You got branch out, Richard. You got hero hero puck, uh, cat podcast or something. We gotta think of a name. I don't I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, uh, we're here to talk basketball. Let Let's go ahead and get to it. Uh, there was a very important game that happened uh, just just last night, and Elkin. You uh, you spent a little bit of time watching it. It is a rematch of the uh, finals, Golden State uh, and the Warriors in Golden State. And, you know, the Warriors won again, which uh, considering how well Boston's been uh, playing this year and kind of how middling the Warriors have been. Uh, I mean, you look at the standings and you see, hey, Boston, uh, you know, right up there at the top of the East, Golden State basically in the play-in range, although it's kind of all muddied in the Western Conference. Uh, game didn't quite turn out the way that we expected, and uh, Golden State was even missing someone. Uh, okay. w- 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 kind of give us the the context we need here uh, about this game. Uh, so this game, I mean, Golden State is, I believe, at even 500 right now. Around there, they might be 14 and 13. I think they were 13 and 13 last night. And before the game started, Eastern Conference leading Celtics coming in there. So Golden State is without Andrew Wiggins. Uh, he's out. And then Boston still missing Robert Williams, I think that's, and also Al Horford. So two, two of their big guys. Now, what I was interested in seeing was um, how Golden State would take care of Jason Tatum because I think you guys remember in the finals, it was pretty much a lot of Wiggins on Jason Tatum. Wiggins has length, athleticism to keep up with Tatum. And honestly, like Tatum, first of all, had a bad shooting game, 6 of 21. It was just not working out for him. Like really what kept Golden State in this game was uh, Jalen Brown, not Golden State, sorry, Boston, uh, was Jalen Brown and Malcolm Brogdon just having those two guys there. But I'll give props to Golden State. I was interested to see what they would do defensively. So the main guy starting off in possessions that they had was Clay Thompson. And what I know of is Clay Thompson, like one on one solely, normally cannot, well, not normally, but now cannot do as well 
but they were just playing it smart with Draymond Green there in the back line, and they would just kind of funnel Jason Tatum into like, hey, run into Kevon Looney, or Draymond Green's going to come and make you pick up your dribble. And then Tatum, he's an amazing scorer in this season. I feel like he's even improved more. He was just settling for like his like spinning side two-step three-point shots a few times and kind of just missing missing a lot of those shots. And I was just like, come on, you can't take those. You got to switch, mismatch, take it to the hole. Not really much of that, but um, besides that, I think like you can kind of tell, like I almost felt like Golden State was really wanting to like show out this game. Like we're the champions who beat you guys. We did our thing. And then it helps that Steph Curry is making ridiculous shots. Like I knew it was going to be a game, an interesting game when Steph Curry made like a first quarter buzzer beater. And like it was almost for half court. I was like, oh boy. But I think one thing I want to talk to you guys is just kind of looking at it. I mean, it still seems like Golden State has their number and with, has Boston's number and without without Andrew Wiggins. But I am remembering Horford and Williams are important pieces, especially how we think about pick and roll coverage, any type of drop coverage, or how they're going to play play those guys on the on the wing in their back in the Golden State backcourt. But I want to just kind of hear you guys because defensively, I think that's when Boston was just communication was off and i can tell it's almost like inexperience with some of those pick and rolls communication go ahead richard uh yeah b- before we send, send ethan on this one like one of the ways that boston's been very successful this year is being able to play lots of five out not having rob williams um uh in the lineup perhaps helping their defense you know having al horford out there as your center with all the shooting around uh and maybe they've been shooting over their heads they are just able to juice the offense to a staggering degree. Well, when it's the Blake Griffin, the the one Blake Griffin a week game here, and he's just starting, you know, center as it were, you're not, you're not going to get as much uh, like, even if he has, you look at it, it's like a 13 points in 20 minutes, four or five from the field. Like you still don't have to respect that nearly as much as Al Horford. And so, I feel like you're able to load up. Like if I think Boston would have probably even preferred, it's like okay, yeah, give us Horford in. Fine, you take Wiggins. Like I think Boston would have rather have played in that setup because it just allows their um, everything that they want to do and that they have been doing this year. I think it allows for for them to to do it at a an easier degree. I think it makes life easier on um, Jason and Jalen um, and probably Marcus Smart as well. Yeah, more or less, when you play Blake Griffin significant minutes, you just give a team a scab to pick at. And then you go to your bench with Luke Cornett, and you continue to have a scab to pick at. And that's a that's a big deal when you're talking about playing against teams that have multiple ball handlers, lots of people who can score, lots of people who can create their own shot. And when you play a team like the Warriors, there's Stephen Curry and Jordan Poole, one of which is almost always going to be on the court. And I didn't, I didn't watch this game fully. I, I was watching it at like in, in um, like coordination with the Blazers game last night, and I was focusing a little bit more on the Blazers game. But like that's the whole, that's what it all comes down to is like if you're consistently playing someone, even if even if you have four other good defenders out there, but there's all there's that that soft spot, you really have to have a scrambling and helping defense the entire game to pick to pick up the slack and i'm just looking at plus minus which is a little you know silly in some degrees but like Cornette was minus nine blake was minus three and we all know the celtics almost everyone on the team um was a minus for the game because they lost but i just look at those two guys specifically and i'm like all right 
I can see that they didn't have a big that had a positive impact on the game, and that results in a lot of you know freer freer runs to the hoop, which leads the Warriors to kicking it around and open threes, and they made a lot of them last night. The only thing I was thinking is like the let's say that you had to play a seven game series like with these being the people available, right? No Horford, no Wiggins, you know, whatever. Like, I look at it and think, you know, perhaps I would have preferred to, let's go ahead and start Malcolm Brogdon, just go small um, and try to match up that way. The problem is even with their, even in this situation, they were out-rebounded. Um, the off, you know, Golden State killed them on, on, on the offensive boards um, comparatively. And so I... It, that's one of the things where if Steph Curry's on, right, like over, uh, you know, uh, 70% true shooting, and you're also giving them extra chances and opportunities like that, yeah, the, the, the Warriors are going to you know, turn the ball over a little bit more just because of the amount of passes that they, that they make in their free-flowing offense. But if you give them those offensive rebounding opportunities that are the kick-out, uh, you know, Steph 3 in uh, – or – or got Clay Thompson three like that's those are just killers after you've played a solid round of defense and so it's it's tough and it gets to the back to the point of for Boston in you know, we wanted them to get another center and so far with Luke Cornette they've been able to you know be fine and the idea of hey we're gonna have Rob Williams come back at some point but it just felt like hey can we get someone other than Blake Griffin? I don't know who else is necessarily out there uh, that would be good a good fit for this team. But that was the one kind of um, criticism, I think, of their offseason. Like, they had a really, you know, getting Brogdon was, was I think we all thought was a great move for them. But just how, how you know, it allows you to play small, but if you're missing some of your bigs, I, I don't know. That, that's just the one thing Look at looking at this team. And I mean, I think that's that's kind of what I was looking at because I was already thinking like, oh, going undersized or starting undersized, but I was watching the game. I'm like, they're already getting killed on the boards. What more can I ask for them to do? But just when you looked at their minutes, like all their big men minutes, it was just Golden State knew how to attack them like every single time. Like I mentioned to you guys, like there were some pick and rolls with Steph. Steph would get a three. Because the big man was like, I don't want to commit too much because I don't want Steph to slip or I don't want my man to slip or whatever happened. But then Steph's defender would just drop and then Steph would get a three and I was just frustrating. And then for me, I think it almost like adds more trouble for the Celtics when you have Klay Thompson having games like this too. Because Klay Thompson, I feel like, wasn't his full like Clay effect in the finals. But this game, it was like like three-point shooting. He wasn't like blowing the amount of the wire three-point shooting, I think it was like 4 out of 11. But he was just getting jumpers all over the floor. And it was like guarded jumpers. He was like, take one dribble, just shift over to the left, jumper. One-legged jumper, just all over. And then just having like, you can tell like what they were doing on offense was working. Whereas Jalen Brown felt like was the only one who knew how to attack the Warriors. Like every time he got a mismatch, he always went in and tried to at least get himself to around the free-throw line. Almost every time he took a few threes as well. I mean, you have to, if the defense gives you those threes, you have to take them. But he would just get in there and he would get those mismatches and he will get just his shot, which is like that foul line fadeaway jumper with plenty of space. And I was like, oh, this is working out for Jalen Brown. But then 
Jason Tatum, I'm just like, come on, give me something here. And I mean, I know like Marcus Smart didn't really add, like give you much as well, but I look at this team and I think what worries me is just their their front court depth. I think that's what's worrying me right now. And who knows, it could be fine. I mean, they're, they're leading East team. So obviously they have something going, but it could be something if they were to face the Warriors again, I'll be worried about this team, but we'll see when they have, I think this was the first matchup of the season, correct? I think one of you guys might know that off the top of your head. And I think it's the first matchup. And then, because for some reason, I thought they had a Christmas matchup. I think, I thought these were the two teams that were facing off in Christmas. And I was like, I want to see this matchup again when you have Al Horford there, when you have that squad. But I, I, even though, like, I say all these things about the Celtics, you guys, though, like, I think at the end of it, I'm not really worried about the Celtics in the long run. I think this is a game that you're kind of just like, you're playing in Golden State. And um, it wasn't like Golden State blew them out of the water most of the game was fairly close. Like Golden State would get like a 10 point lead, a nine point lead and Celtics would just like come back, come back and they would keep the game close. So that's one thing I'm looking at is like, Oh, they could weather Celtics could weather the storm during all this. Go ahead, Richard. Yeah. So this was the first matchup. They won't play again until January. Oh, okay, so gotcha. they're not the uh, Christmas day. Oh my goodness. Um, it, matchup. It better not, uh, it better not be Lakers but, warriors on Christmas day. Well, I don't know, but it's Boston Bucks, and so that that, that, that that's okay. just as good. <laughs> I mean, excited for that. I'll take um, I'll take that. I'll take that for sure. Question for you: What were your thoughts of Kaminga, um, um uh, in this game? So here's the thing about him: because he was he was the he was the main guy off the bench getting minutes because of their reduced lineup. Yeah, so he had overall like I would say a solid game. I think it was like six of nine shooting. Nothing like oh we. Nothing like blow me out of the water, but there was a few times where Kaminga, I feel like it was clicking for him because I know he's averaging less all around this season compared to last season, but there's a few things. And for me, what I'm talking about is like the way he finally moved without the basketball. He finally knew like, let me put myself in these spaces and the players, other players were finding him in those spaces and he was being good doing that. He had a three pointer as well. And I think when he gives me 14, five and three, if I'm getting that, and he's, let's just say, he's like my second or third guy off the bench. If he's like my eighth or ninth man in the rotation, he's giving me that production, I'm loving it. But then there are other times you're like, oh, this is why the Warriors keep him on the bench for longer periods. Because when he was there, he just messed up. I don't want to say the flow, but kind of like their spacing. When they were running their, their movement, running their stuff, their movement. And then on defense, they were like... We talk about Blake Griffin, right? How we're like, ah, I don't know about Blake, but Blake abused Kaminga almost every time in the post. And I mean, it's like a veteran against a young guy. Like Blake pretty much did like old man moves, like a spin move here. I got you on my back, bucket. A few pump fakes. I know you're going to jump because you're young and you want to get this block. Like this is what was going on. But then there's other times where I'm like, I can see offensively why the Warriors want to have him because he's so long and quick and big that he gets to spots really quick and he can finish really good in traffic a few times like he he finished i was like okay if we could get him more of this i'm enjoying it so that's what i kind of saw from him and by the way dr divincenzo box score is not going to blow you away but one thing i can tell you about him i think you could really tell him and pool and kamiga were starting to build a lot of good chemistry together and he was really setting up guys really well that's one thing i liked about him he may not got a lot of assists and stuff but he was setting up and getting the ball moving during their bench unit because sometimes they would have Jordan Poole playing with that bench and it would be like Jordan Poole taking a fadeaway three. Go ahead and do that, Jordan Poole. And he only made one three. But then, like, 
once they started like DiVincenzo will get the rebound and take it down the court, their offense looked really good when they gave him a chance to take over that. But that's what I got. I mean, I don't know if you guys want to add anything else on those on those two teams. I know you guys got another uh, juicy matchup that I enjoyed watching at least the end of. Yeah, I got nothing else for this original uh, matchup. So, uh, Ethan, if you're ready, let's go ahead and get to uh, Blazers Nuggets. Um, this game was uh, an exciting one. Um, it uh, went went down to the wire. I, I saw something on Twitter where there were basically a whole bunch of lead changes in the last, I don't know, six minutes. Um, just basically shot after shot after shot went, went in on, on opposite ends. And so we had all those lead changes and ties and stuff like that. But um, in watching this, one of the interesting things for me was trying to say, all right, well, how do each of these teams want to cover? How do they want to guard the opposing, uh, you know, teams like you're trying to figure out what to do with Dane right or you're trying to figure out what to do with Jokic and um, it was interesting to see that it looked like uh, Denver was basically trying to do what they could to uh, keep keep Dame out of the middle they looked like they were trying to ice the coverage on the side and kind of send him down the sidelines but gotta say many botched attempts at at such uh, at such things. There were times where you could see, um, it was one time Bruce Brown was on, on Dame and, you know, we were trying to ice, uh, you know, ice, especially on, on the, uh, on these pick and rolls, it, you trying to get high, you know, your defensive high foot above the offensive guy's high, high foot. But the problem is, you know, Dame's just too quick. And if you're not in position, he's just going to go around you, right? Get around, you get to the middle. But the problem is if you're doing ice coverage, is Jokic is playing it that way. Jokic is closer to the sideline, right? Trying to funnel him that way and kind of contain him there. And so if you're Bruce Brown, you let him over the top, Dame is just walking into no one, just walking into three-point shots over and over again. And uh, that was something that I noticed. Defense was optional in this game uh, during long, long stretches. And, uh, you know, it's, it's weird because it's just silly little things for Denver, like with the way that they were doing that. And then for for um, uh, the way that uh, Portland was trying to to defend, uh, you know, the Murray uh, Jokic uh, actions, it it seemed like they didn't really adjust for this matchup and kind of just we're gonna do our base, which. For me, I don't really understand with Nurkic because it gets him a little too far out. Like, they, they're extra aggressive with Nurkic, pretending like he has extra mobility that I don't think he has. And so he gets himself out of position, and all Murray has to do is take one extra dribble, and then he's able to hit it to uh, Jokic on basically a short roll. Jokic really never rolls hard to the rim anytime. He just kind of short rolls to the free throw line, uh, nail, and then pass and then it's just floater time and or he's reversing it and finding the open guy on on the excess help so I just didn't I struggled with the execution from Denver uh and I struggled with the approach from uh from Portland defensively in 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 this game Uh, Ethan what were your thoughts that well I wanted to hit on that short roll concept and how like Jokic doesn't really roll hard and I think that's like a criticism for most players um, 
uh, most screeners, I would say, is they don't roll hard or pick hard. They just kind of float. But for Jokic, what that floating does is it actually gives the defense a little bit more time to react where they're still at a mismatch trying to stop his floater or mid-range shot. But if you let them try to scramble, that's where a lot of these open threes come from. And that's, that's what kept happening with um, with Jamal Murray and him working like you know above the break three. He'd float towards that free throw line. And if Murray didn't take a three and make it or push the envelope because Nurkic can't cover him either, he do, you're, you're right. It opened up that extra space for the pass back to Jokic. And then as that defense then shrinks in, that's where you see all these kickouts and wide open threes for the – the Nuggets, and I'm telling you, like, what, what makes me scared of the Nuggets so much is, like, we're watching this happen with Bruce Brown, who's an improved shooter. Watching it happen with Christian Brown uh, playing games, K- K- KCP. There's this guy named Michael Porter Jr. who's going to be taking a lot of those, I hope, come playoff time. And that's why this Nuggets seems really tantalizing, because as much as they have some defensive problems, and we, we'll probably talk more about it with, with Jokic and his limitations, but... I really don't know if Murray comes back to himself. Just watching how the Blazers were flummoxed and struggling. I know the Blazers aren't the best defensive team by any stretch. But, like, the the, the blueprint is there to break down almost anyone when you have as, as good a pull-up shooter as Murray. And as I don't know if there's a better short roll player in the world than Nikola Jokic. Yeah, and the weird thing is, is again, like he's short rolling on regular pick and rolls, not in situations where the team is totally like, you know, usually you see, we talk about like the Warriors and Draymond on the short roll because a team has uh, aggressively, um, you know, like maybe trying to blitz Steph Curry. And then, you know, that's one of the reasons why you're unable to do that because we get Draymond on the short roll and then you got four on three. But with the Blazers playing this way, they're essentially putting two to the ball. But, uh, you know, with this, although you know, it's, it's a, uh, you know, Nurkic is, is trying to recover back back into it. But playing against the Nuggets when they do this is against almost any other team. Like we've talked about, they're rolling all the way to the basket. And so these centers, as they're trying to execute their coverage, whether they're in drop, whether they're in, um, you know, whether they're a little bit more aggressive uh, like Portland is, it, it like they're expecting the center to be, oh, wait, he's not there. And then, you know, then we have longer, these longer closeouts that, that are creating these openings. And for, for, for the Nuggets, like if Bruce Brown is going to, like he, let's, let's, you know, he, he played reasonably well uh, offensively, like, you know, doing what he needs to, getting to, you know, making some layups at the rim, and um, he didn't hit any three-pointers, but like you said, he's been improved, um, as one would expect to be, getting passes from Jokic. But if he's not, if, if him and KCP aren't bringing uh, the guard defense that I think Jokic especially needs, then you're right. Let's go ahead and just have... Michael, uh, you know, Michael Porter Jr. out there, and we're just going to juice everyone's offense because that's the type of game that this one was. Um, and I, let's, let's talk about Portland here because I, let me just say, I usually don't care for broadcast. I love the Portland broadcast. I, uh, it, was, it was an enjoyable experience to me just hearing, they've been doing something unique this year where they have this, uh, what, what's his name? Analytics um, guy. Analytics guy, like 
I I appreciate what they're doing. I heard a podcast with him on with Seth Partnow on Colin Shots uh, and kind of talking about what they're doing and how he's trying to not only kind of help uh, the you know the you know the the people who are watching, but also he has a role for the team, but also for their main broadcasters. I just like some of the uh, the, the conversations that that they were having um, throughout throughout the game. Uh, so first of all, I, I appreciated that um, better than the, the Pistons broadcast. Uh, although that one, like, it just sounds like home to me. It just I don't I don't get much from from that. Uh, I uh, focusing in on the on the Blazers personnel. Like we've talked about Nurkic and how they're being aggressive with him, and, and how I don't know if that quite fits. But they really don't have any centers beyond that. I don't care for Drew Eubanks and. I don't think either one of those guys really can play the the type of defense that I think Chauncey wants to play. So, uh, like at, defensively, I I worry for them. I think they could if they had the right defensive personnel. I don't know exactly who who that is uh, that would be available for them. But I will say Jeremy Grant looked very well. You know, he he looked like he was playing very well. He was super active in that first quarter. Like he was all over the place, uh, defensively, offensively. He was able to find mismatches, um, getting separation from Aaron Aaron Gordon, even finishing I think over Aaron Gordon a couple times. But it's like I I I'm really happy for for, for Jeremy that he found a place where he can be successful. It's just. It, it, I don't know. I have some worries about the big position there. Oh, and it's fair because it's it's Yusef Nurkic who we we we've already lamented some of his problems, and then I mean as as okay of a player as Drew Eubanks is, like the part of the reason he plays for the Trailblazers is he's from Portland basically. He's from a little like a little suburb town, Troutdale. Like and I'm sure you would have heard that on the broadcast at some point when he does a high play. And I was we watched the Blazer game last night and he played really well. Like and he's a, he's actually a really solid offensive backup center. But that's not what the Blazers need help with. And there's a certain man in San Antonio that I think could solve a heap of these these this team's problems. Um, whereas all of a sudden all that extra help that Winslow brings you off the bench and Jerry Grant on a regular basis, Josh Hart flying around, all those like holes that they plug, like get closed up tight. If you actually have a real rim protector, um, behind Damon Anferty. But I don't know if Jakob Pertl is going to be able to play that defense that Chauncey wants to. Like, I feel like Chauncey would have to like change that up, but it, it feels like he should reel it back a little bit as well from like, I just don't know if Chauncey makes that change because he hasn't so far with, with Nurkic. Like I think Nurkic, I appreciate him being up at least at the level of the screen, but I, I feel like he should be dropping from that point as opposed to um, taking that extra step out and trying to, uh, you know, get on the ball. So like, while, while I think that that's right, like he would, that would be especially helpful uh, to get, Pirtle in there, I feel like that would cause, like, Chauncey would need to be willing to make that change. I don't know if he is. I, I do agree that, like, they could further optimize their their base, but I do think, I do think because of the success of the offense and how well the team's playing as a whole, I don't mind them continuing to work on this. 
Um, I, it is going to be tough to make it fully functional. I mean, we can look at the numbers, right? This team is the 24th ranked team in defensive rating. So it's not working. But I do think there's a certain amount of healthy chaos that's created by the way they're playing. Whereas I think the limitations of a drop with Yusuf Nurkic, who's not perfect in a drop either, just because he's he's not really a vertical like he, he, he his verticality doesn't actually that exist that much. It's like I kind of think Chauncey's doing the right thing to breed chaos versus something as predictable as Nurkic dropping back and people stopping short. I I I just don't think he has the right cards, and I I would feel like maybe if he had someone who really was a rim protector that was going to solve it. If you went to a drop, I think he might. I think Jeremy really thrives here as the weak side kind of help guy, you know, being able to come in and clean some things up and get those blocks. Like I think he really helps um, this this scheme. Um, I, I just and I'm not saying I want Nurkic just in a like a drop from the beginning, but with with guys like Nurkic and Jokic who like aren't you know these incredibly um, horizontal or vertical athletes like. I, my preference for them is, okay, let's just go ahead and get you at the level. So we're trying to like close as much space as possible that will require us to have just a little bit of help side defense, rely a little bit on Jeremy Grant, but to less, you know, I I just feel like it opened up a whole lot for, uh, you know, for this, um, Nuggets team, and let's be honest, they just make it, you know, having Jokic just makes it very tough, uh, difficult to, to cover in the first place, so. Yeah, I, I guess, like, the the overall point is, like, they're, they're, this this team's limitation is forever and always going to be defense as long as Dame's on the court and as long as Nurkic is on the court. Um, but you're, I, I, I have to agree with you that I am in love with the Jeremy Grant fit. And, you know, we talked, I think we, we kind of mentioned on it with Jeremy Grant, like kind of taking it to Aaron Gordon a little bit to start that game off. I thought that was so fun to see the two guys who, like, I would say Portland and Denver, obviously Denver liked Jeremy Grant. They, they brought him in. The two guys that, like, both these teams have coveted for a while, like kind of duking it out a little bit in this game. Like, that was a fun, that was fun theater for me because I still would love to see both those guys on the same team because I think that would be quite the three four combo because both of them are probably a little bit better at a four but jeremy grant clearly showing that he is a viable three option as he did in detroit like i i just enjoy the theater of both those guys and the the, the just rumors that have swirled for four years about where those guys are going and how their careers are developing really fun matchup for me to uh to watch for sure uh let me just ask this question because again i watched this particular game I don't watch as many Blazers games as you do. Um, Anthony Simons was it was not his game. Like he looked like he really wasn't providing much there in this like in this game being an offensive game. Just it's a complete offensive game. He's like the only one who was not bringing anything offensively, and and so if he's out there playing thirty four minutes, not hitting his shots not a noted defensive stalwart and that that's the problem as well like you're trying to play this coverage with guards that uh you know these smaller guards that are not noted for their defense um and and uh, like 
I know he's shot well this year. Just I, that, 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 that's those. That's what I've heard. But oh, he's thirty nine percent from three. He's he's like, a great how, offensive player. So again, I didn't see that in this game. I know he is, but like, is it catch and shoot stuff? Is he finding? How is he? How is he getting to his? Um, how is he? How is he? How is his offense um, helping? Other than just outside catch and shoot uh, and being someone else, you have to uh, worry about outside of Dame. So I mean, that is his primary thing. It's very, very similar to what CJ McCollum did. But to be honest, like the things that Anthony Simons can do in terms of athletic burst and his handle, like as I know CJ McCollum had like that craft, and but he never really got a lot of separation for like I would say. I, the most ideal shots. He always could get to that mid range and that was great. And that's effective. And it's, it's where the NBA still is when you need to finish a game off. Right. However, like Anthony Simons has played a lot of minutes without Dame and he takes over games just fine. I think there's a lot of growing to do with those two still to find the yin and yang, um, to really promote their best offense sharing the court there was a game I went to I'm blanking on who they were playing but Anthony Simons hit I think five threes in the third quarter hit seven for the game and it was really cool to see that because they were running him through all kinds of off off ball actions like treat like he was like running around like Stephen Curry to get these open shots and I truly think Richard that there's no limit on Anthony Simons offensive game that guy is such an elite shooter he takes I think some of the most difficult threes in the NBA and he's still shooting a great percentage and the way he can break people down the dribble, like he's got that burst, like he's fast, he's quick and he's got like these little running hooks and he's not afraid of contact. Like sometimes I always criticize about CJ is he was always only about take like shooting. He'd had no interest in being touched. Like, this guy is so talented and there's a lot of like a lot of conversation about who like got the, the deals this year, right? Like Tyra hero got a deal. Anthony Simon's got a deal and um, Jordan pool. And if I'm telling you right now, if I was a expansion team in theory, like making up a fake scenario and all three of those guys were available, but you can only have one. I would take Anthony Simons. He's the best player in that group. And I, I don't know if I'm biased because I'm a Blazers fan or if I'm biased because I'm a Heat fan. I don't know which it is. But when I look at those guys, like Anthony Simon's got the want to and I think the versatility of shot making to, to, to be better than both those other guys. Tower Hero, I think, right now is the currently the best player out of those three in terms of like he's doing the most with the least because I think Anthony is in a perfect offensive scenario. But when you consider the defensive end too, like I know Anthony's small, but like he – he makes he makes plays on defense. He's not a good defender, but he's a, he is a playmaker on defense, and that's something I will I'll stand by. He's not he's not just a sieve. He's athletic and gets into people, and he makes mistakes. But he doesn't have these people just cast him aside like I see with Tyler Hero and a Jordan Poole. Like I I'm really enthused by Anthony Simons. Let me also, but like, here's the other thing, like kind of a little little pushback on that. Like you, you look at those situations in Miami, and you look at the situation in Golden State, and when those two guys, Hero and Pool, are on the floor, they are the worst defenders. And so the other teams are like, here, you come here, let's go ahead and deal with you. Whereas in 
uh, Portland, it's, well, we can have our choice of Dame where we want to run him. I mean, just because you want to make things difficult for him and make Dame have to work defensively to hopefully suppress his offensive value. So there's that aspect of it too where maybe they're not picking on Anthony as much as perhaps they could and maybe we'd see some cracks start to form uh with him i don't know that's that's very true if you can get dame and nurk just in a high pick and roll like the nuggets repeatedly did like you don't necessarily have to go hunt anthony simons because dame and nurk are readily available like there's no way to hide both of them so to speak and i guess that's where you like whoever's hot if it was like you know if you're let's say you're playing the the bulls and it's and levine you just pick whoever's hot and you can go after Anthony or you can go after Dame, whoever's guarding who, you know, like there's not a perfect scenario as well as like Jeremy Grant can't always be on ball. And that's actually not his strength. He's kind of like Robert Covington in a lot of ways where his best features is, is that help side stuff coming off the weak side. Like you were talking about, he's better on ball than Robert Covington ever was, but he's not like, he's not just the stopper that the Blazers truly could could use. And Gary Payton Jr. is still not played yet. So here's a fun matchup that happened that, that like just a little bit of back and forth. There was a good stretch in here that I really appreciated. And that was the Bones Highland Shade and Sharp uh, kind of experience. There was a hilarious uh, sequence here where, um, you know, Bones came down and, uh, you know, hit a three. This might have been after um, an ATO where Chauncey drew something up for Shade and Sharp to get a dunk. Or an alley oop, uh, and, and then you know, later on, Bones hits a three, and you see the camera pans to to you know the player who just made the shot, um, you know, before the other team comes down frequently, and you could see Bones talking trash to Shaden Sharp, and you know, basically, you know, saying, you know, why don't you come on up and guard me, that that type of thing, and uh, and then that whole next possession, Bones was just out of position, and uh. Basically, uh, it went around um, a bit, and it led to uh, basically him getting backdoored um, by Shade and Sharp, who just went in and made a layup. And then you could see uh, Shade just like look at him and like maybe say like one word or something, then 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 to get back on defense. It was just a really funny thing that uh, I, I appreciated uh, in, in in watching that. But I gotta say, if you really want to juice the offense in a game, Bones Highland is the uh, is the player. Um, that really did it. There were just times where he looked so out of position. There was one possession here where, he, again, it was an outer timeout. Michael Malone drew something up to in, you know, intentionally make him have to uh, defend. And everyone on Denver was just pointing, Bones, go, you know, go here, go here. And he just basically guarded no one the whole time. And I think it led to, I think it was a Dame 3, uh, if I remember that possession correctly. But... They definitely, you know, Portland definitely was able to to make them pay. But then Bones came down and just hit another random long three. It's just, it's the thing that happens uh, when he's out there. He's long and wiry, but obviously way too slight defensively there. he If his awareness, defensive awareness can improve, he's still young. But if he can get that to improve, then you're a little more comfortable with him off ball. I, he's just nowhere close right now. On, on that end yeah like he's definitely never going to be a perfect defender very slight very small but 
it's the same thing like with um with Stephen Curry and like like he's the bad defender on the Warriors so to speak. But what he does is he's always in the right spot and trying right, and that's what you have to be able to do to like really make your mark and stick around in this league defensively. Is you you got to be in the right spot. If you get beasted, that's what sometimes that's just what happens. But you need to make the right rotations. You need to stick in your man's pocket. Like all these things that. You can do to create separation on offense. You can do to stay close enough to your man defensively. I, but I think it's, I think you're right. If you ever need a juicy offense, it works both ways. That man's a, a is a, is lighter fluid for offense. And I, I, I think it'll be interesting to see what kind of lineups they go with in certain moments come playoff time. Because like I can see a lineup where it's Jokic, Gordon, uh, Michael Porter Jr., Highland, and Murray and you're like good luck stopping us we we're not stopping you because of whatever other reasons but we are gonna have someone who can dunk all over you or make a three all day like there's like there's not gonna be a weak spot offensively if that's a lineup and I do like also they can go like a KCP Aaron Gordon and Bruce Brown like the starting lineup from this game was was that the Murray Brown Pope Jokic and Gordon like I really like that lineup as a theoretical closing lineup especially if Michael Porter Jr. can't figure out his end defensively as well which has always been a trouble been a little trouble yeah that, that last lineup like I like it's just probably a little too small um to I mean the person you're going to ask to to do stuff is like hey Bruce Brown can you play up and guard through he's like what if you play against like a mashing team uh not that there's tons out that like all the other teams that are especially big have their own other issues uh, at least out west that i can think of right now but like you're having the three guards out there just seems well let's just let's let's do this let's let's talk about the pelicans here like if you play against the pelicans you're asking bruce brown to defend in that situation you're probably asking him to defend zion you're probably asking him to defend brandon ingram and as, as much as effort as Bruce Brown can give, Brandon Ingram is rising up and going over you, right? So that's that's my only concern with that type of, uh, you know, thing. And I guess I guess the hope is just let's make them pay on the other end, which is why we have just totally juiced offenses. We know we know Jokic is going to keep it even, right? Like, he, you're not going to have a bad offense with Nikola Jokic out there. And in the, in the same sense, like, I... I there's two teams that concern me for like their lack of size, a theoretical healthy Clippers and the Pelicans. But when I look at like what the Pelicans do, they're always going to play CJ McCollum, which means that they're going to have a, a scab to pick at as well. And I, I will settle for CJ and Brandon Ingram taking contested mid Rangers over my small Bruce Brown and small KCP who are hustling hard and, and in the, in the Jersey and contested shots over a wide open, um, let's just pick one. A wide open Larry Nance or wide open um, Trey Murphy, because Michael Porter Jr. and Bones Highland aren't aren't sticking to a body. That, and I think that's where I don't actually have concerns with any specific smaller, if they, like matching up until the finals where they could play a team like Boston who can be big and shoot. And then you're like, oh my goodness, like we need that Michael Porter frame just to have someone that can contest the Jason Tatum shot, someone that can contest Jalen Brown. Like he, 
it's so it's so frustrating for him because he's such a good player offensively. But really, unless Michael Porter Jr. can be healthy and be an, a skosh of defensive aware, that's where the limitations of the Nuggets end, like end is with him. If he can guard people, this team can win a championship. If he can't, you have too many scabs for Nikola Jokic's offense to cover. Um, man, this is fun. Uh, I I enjoyed watching this game and uh, kind of seeing the the, the back and forth. Um, uh, and you know, it, I guess just having two offenses that are very good and defenses that you know have all of these scabs to pick at, it just it makes for a, a high scoring event. Uh, my favorite um, fake advanced stats of uh, there are other legitimate advanced stats, but totally out of context and not helpful at all is the uh, Keon Johnson ones where uh, he came in and hit a, an end of half three. Uh, he played, he played for uh, less, you know, less than 30, 29 seconds. Uh, his, the, the team offensive rating when he was out there was well 300 cause he just came in and hit a three. And uh, the, the defensive rating is, you know, uh, with him out there was 135 and uh, he had a usage of 90. Point two, so it's uh, very very fun um, uh, there in that small sample size theater. Yeah, I'll tell you, Keon Johnson, I think is on a healthy development track here in Portland. Like, I think his jump shots improved a lot. Like, that was a he was a, a semi undraftable prospect for some people because of his lack of shooting. And I really do think he's developed last year with like just the the free reign minutes that he was given. And I think now that he's kind of in a role, I really like him kind of running like the very small minutes Gary Payton Jr. role while Gary Payton's not ready to play yet. But like I look at him as a good defensive prospect as he's gotten under Chauncey Billups' leadership, which, you know, could question some of his tactics, but I do think players respect Chauncey a lot because of his, you know, time with the Pistons and, and, you know, being the consummate pro on the court, so to speak. Um, the one thing I think we should talk about real quick before we, we wrap this up, Richard, is with these two teams. We all we they're both you know good Western Conference teams. Nuggets obviously I think are a tier above. Like I think they are like legitimate title threats even with some of their problems. What or how can these two teams quell some of their concerns? Either trade deadline or is it just the health thing for the Nuggets and having everyone together? Is is there a move or a, t- a player type? We don't have to have the fake trade ready. Is there a player type that either one of these teams need to really like solidify them as, hey, be a, be a little afraid? Well, I mean, I think Denver. I mean, both of these teams, It's the, there's, there's the obvious, uh, hey, can we get another five out here? Like, can, can we get someone other than DeAndre Jordan that uh, you know for Denver can survive the the minutes that he's not out there like the DeAndre Jordan experience uh, you know I think has gone better than anticipated but that's because it was anticipated it was going to be an entire train wreck dumpster fire scenario um, but like you you heard about it on the Blazers broadcast that was one of their advanced stats where they were talking about hey you know this time without Jokic, has been you know really tough the on off numbers for for him and you know that's because you know we don't have an adequate backup for him he's so good yes but we don't have an adequate backup uh for him 
I could I see the direction that they wanted to go. I think that they wanted to get to someone who's going to be a rim runner, rim protector. You're just not quite there yet. Um, I don't know if I mean I know the Pistons have been shopping Nerlens Noel. I just don't know how good Nerlens is right now, coming off the injury last year. Uh, but a guy who can just defend the rim, like yeah, you mentioned Jakob Pertl as well. Denver does not have the juice to get Jakob Pertl. Um, I doubt that they have the juice to get anyone is in, in the trade market because, uh, well, number one, they are some. They're a team that wants to avoid the tax, and so getting anyone with any sort of non-minimum contract is difficult. Uh, so that's just my issue with Denver. Um, I mean, Portland does have avenues, though. Uh, I mean, they are a team. You know, you, you talked you talked about hey, we could get Jakob Pertl in there, and I think. You know, there's a way, just depends. How much does Portland actually want to give up? Um, there's things that they could do uh, in order to um, make that happen, whereas Denver just really can't. But I I look at, you know, for for Portland, if they really wanted to, to go in a direction of, hey, we think that we've got the, we think we've got it here. Um, let's, let's go ahead and um, make a trade would be, the you know let's say things go go you know sour over in um brooklyn even more than they have like denver uh, sorry portland's been talked about as the sneaky kd you know kevin durant team i just don't totally know the package that you put together i think that you do have an interesting package of hey guess what we've got Shaden sharp as a potential thing we've got um you know Anthony Simons being a thing, but like the problem, like those two guys would be immediate headliners that get you into the discussion. Um, you do have to probably work through, I think there's a protection, pick protection thing with Chicago. Um, I think still uh, with, with the trade that they made, I can't, I can't remember if that one's gone through. I, th- I think that you had to work that out, but you could get some picks and have one of those guys being the headline. The problem is the, the money, um, money matching that you're going to have to do like with, uh, I don't even know if Anthony Simons can be traded with with the extension he just signed, or 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 when he's available to be. I think he's available to be traded as soon as the um, it might be off. It might be uh, the January fifteenth or December fifteenth, um, because he play has this. This is his fifth year in the league, right? So he's actually on his contract. He wasn't extended, like like Hero is still in the fourth year of his rookie scale, but he's been extended, so he's poison pilled. Anthony is on the first year of his extension. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so his I can't remember normal. his situation. He's good. Yeah, okay. His money's normal. We just have to wait. I think it's probably the January 15 one then, um, is my guess. But uh, it's if you're if you're Portland, here's what Portland would love to be able to do, I think. Like, if you, to get Kevin Durant in. You want to be able to do that while not giving up Jeremy Grant. You also want to do it without being without having to give up Anthony Simons, like if you could work out a situation where, hey, let's go ahead and get Kevin Durant on this basketball team while uh, not giving up Ant, Dame, or Jeremy, like I think that they do that. Like if, you know, that would that would require though, Shaden Sharp, that would require then the necessary money matching, which is where things get tricky. It's like, how do you do that without also going with Nurk, just like in his money? And... I would be willing to do that. Like that's that's the avenue that makes the most sense to me. But whenever I've heard discussions of Kevin Durant, it's been oh Jeremy Grant and the others as the money matching. Um, 
plus all the picks, which then for me, I'd look at it and say, well, why? Why do I do that? Because now I've given up all, like, yes, I have Dame, I have, um, no, I, ha- I have Dame Simons, and now I have Kevin Durant, and offensively, that that's awesome, but now there are some holes that I don't have a way to, to, to fill. I feel like it's easier to fill a, um, a hole at center, uh, like, Let's say the Pistons can't find someone. Guess what they're going to do? They're going to buy out Nerland's Noel because what's the point of keeping a malcontent on there that you could just pick up, you know, pick up a backup center or pick up a center like that. And and so th- that's that's my suggestion. Uh, or those are the, the, the two options. Both teams need a center. And then obviously the Kevin Durant uh, whispers that have been out there. Um, just to bring clarity to the pick situation, basically they're out their 2023 pick, and it's, there's a lot of future protections on it, like into perpetuity, basically. But it's that, a lot that's of Chicago's. Yes. So as long as the Blazers make the playoffs, that pick is no longer a problem a- after this year. But it is a problem until this year with is resolved. Yes. So you'd have to do something like Miami did with um, with OKC, you know, so uh, with OKC, and you know. It's like, hey, this is gonna this is gonna happen. We want to do it, and Chicago's like, well, make us make it worth our while. Here's a second round pick, or here's a you know whatever. And maybe the way to do that is you talked about fixing center issues. I don't see a reason why Andre Drummond couldn't be part of. I, I I'm not saying he's the solution. I'm just saying I think there's a way. Like, okay, if 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 Kevin Durant becomes available and that is only available by opening up the protection protections, I bet Andre Drummond could find his way to Portland to be part of the center solution. At that point, like that could be. We'll t- we take Andre Drummond. We give you some a- an asset as well, and we're on our way. I think he'd do reasonably well in the ch- in the Chauncey scheme. I. I mean, I don't know if he still would be like a couple of years ago. Drummond, I think, would do a little bit better in it, but you get deflections that way. But who knows? The part of the time we've been recording, I've been looking through different trade opportunities for DeRozan, uh, Zach Levine, and I'm just thinking if the if the Bulls pull trigger, and I was I was honestly thinking about Vucevic as well, and like where he can go. And unfortunately, the Nuggets don't have enough salary to like take him on without giving away good players i was like hey he's expiring so you pay the tax one year and then you duck back out of it when you let him walk but maybe it wins you a championship that, i literally was thinking that for nikola vucevic as the as a backup to for Jokic for a, a back half of a season but unfortunately that's not going to work because he makes too much money but i i look i look at the bulls and i'm like this is the one team that theoretically has good bones like for okay basketball that is for the pickings if they if you know if if Karnas service wants to save his job i think he needs to start plan b immediately cuz i mean i'm looking at i'm looking at these players and the demar is could be on his way out soon vucevic obviously was a mistake and He's expiring, so if you want to get anything for him to help jumpstart your rebuild, now's the time. Like Caruso, I bet could get you a first round pick from a, a team. Late like, first, for yeah, sure. That's, yeah, exactly. Not not a not a lot. Like nothing that's going to be in the lottery, but you might be able to get like something in the mid first if you trade him to a team like like, like obviously Portland's not in the. Warriors. It's got to be a team. Yeah, it's it's got to be a team that's like like. The, the Warriors and a Wiseman Caruso swap like that that's been written that's been written in pencil for a little bit of like people have been talking about it um 
Like that that gets you everything that Gary Payton the third you're missing from you know. Yeah, and if you send him to the Warriors and the Warriors continue on the way they have been, you get the sixth like the sixth seed in the West pick. That's you know twenty three. That's not bad at all. Twenty even higher perhaps if the East continues to have some of the like you know the higher win teams because they do have te- more teams like Detroit and Orlando and Charlotte, whereas the West really only has. Uh, the Spurs in Houston. Like, there's there's just a lot of potential out there for this Bulls team. I see so many contributors, so many guys, like a flyer on Kobe White for a, a fringe playoff team. Like, there's a lot of pickings to be done on this Bulls team. And I would like to see it happen. I'd like to see these guys start moving around. I'm, I'm juiced about it. Well, December 15 is just around the corner, so we'll see what happens um, uh, there or shortly after. Uh, but Ethan, good talk with you today. Good talking basketball. And uh, um, maybe by the next time we pod, we'll have a trade to talk about. I'm just hoping the Heat are back to 500.